Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. This is a show that really is designed to uplift, to inspire, to support you on your healing journey of transformation, and a show that really offers the place of deep connection, deep healing, and just opening ourselves to more joy. Today, I have a T-shirt on that I found in my drawer that I haven't worn for a while, and I think I bought it a couple of Christmases ago. I don't know why they had short sleeves during Christmas, but it has in big gold letters, joy, across the front of that T-shirt. And that's what I've been wearing today, and people have been making all sorts of comments about joy. And I think that's a great word to walk around with, especially these days. You can't help but get the, the vibe of joy if you see it, especially if it's, you know, it's it's uh, washed across my chest here. Uh, and that's what this show is about. It's about joy. It's about opening up our hearts to love. And uh, what a beautiful topic we're going to be exploring today, because we're going to be talking about the power of love with my guest, Dr. Catherine Athens. And I'm just going to share a little bit about her. Uh, she is a psychologist who has a doctorate degrees in both clinical and health psychology, along with master's degrees in clinical community psychology. She is the author of The Heart Brain, which details how stress, anxiety, and worry can put you at increased risk for disease. And her latest book is called Love I Am, and that's just about to be released. And we're going to be exploring the power of love, the power of our heart, and the power of really tapping into the I am that I am. So it's my great pleasure to welcome Catherine to the show today. So hello, Catherine. So glad to have you. Oh, hello, hello. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here, and hello to all of your wonderful fans everywhere. And I think joy is the best thing to have written across <laughs> your chest. So good Isn't for that you. great? Fabulous. <laughs> I just thought we should all be walking around with these great big words of love and joy and happiness and peace, you know, like great affirmation, walking billboards. There you go. There you go. Yeah, it can change your day. Uh, so, so Catherine, you know, um, we're going to start talking about your work with um, that first book, the Heart Brain book, which um, is exploring what you call three brains that we have, and that will lead us into all sorts of other conversations because you're doing such interesting work and bringing forth and channeling some very powerful messages at this time, and we have so much to talk about, and I know you're going to be sharing a love meditation as well, so for everyone listening, hang in there because we have a great conversation in store for you today. So, so Catherine, why don't we jump in? I mean, you 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 have you know a PhD in clinical and health psychology, and you've been obviously very academic and have a practice. But what was it that led you to have a more uh, profound understanding of the role of the true heart and well, the connection to the well, brain? Well, I I think it it was I was I was in school and I was very lucky because. I was good in lots of different sciences and so forth. So even being in psychology happened in a weird way, sort of by mistake. Uh, but I had been studying to be a bioenergetic therapist, which was based on the teachings of Wilhelm Reich, 
who was a contemporary of Sigmund Freud back in Vienna in the day, in the 20s and 30s. And Reich believed that all of our traumas were mapped in our body, so much so that our bodies grew around our traumas. And if we wanted to release our traumas, we had to open the body through breath and through gentle uh, stretching and allow the body then to quiver and to get out the trauma. And I had gone, I had been, uh, I don't know, blessed to be at so many different workshops where you see people and uh, they're very accomplished people. And the leader goes, oh, you know, it's your turn. They used to call it getting on the bed, but you were in your uh, bathing clothes and start kicking. And I remember one man said, well, I have nothing to kick about. And the leader, Malcolm Bruce, said, oh, you don't, oh, you don't do you? So he started hitting him on the feet and said, just let me know. You have nothing to kick about, nothing to kick about. Pretty soon this guy was screaming his bloody guts out, and all that trauma, all that control that had been put on him from a very early age started coming out, and it was amazing. It was beautiful. I thought, wow, this is what I want to do, you know. It's a little dangerous because people become a little wild, but it works. The trauma started coming out, and and people started looking like they're alive again. And so I love that. And then what happened was I had gone to um, a seminar with both Alexander Lowen and John Paracas back in the day, and neither of them could understand me. They just didn't understand me at all. And I thought, what's wrong? They don't understand me. And I had been going through bioenergetic therapy myself because I thought, wow, this is the best ever. And even my therapist said, oh, no, we we're not, we don't know. We're not quite sure about you, Catherine. And so during that time, my sister had been studying with a transmedium whose name is Rosalind Breer. It used to be Rosalind Winsky, but she divorced her husband and became Breer, and she was a very gifted psychic whatever that meant at the time when I went. And my sister said, well, there's a woman from Kansas City, Kansas, Kay Beck, who's going to come and do readings. Now, I didn't know anything about this formally at all, but I said, hey, I want to come. I want a reading. You know, count me in. So I remember getting the reading, and the woman went into trance, and her spirit guide and that was weird for me because I didn't even know what that meant at the time, came through and spoke to me and said, listen, honey, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just very psychic, and you've got to learn how to deal with it. And even that was kind of weird. What does that mean? So then after that, I began to read books. Uh, The first year I read 492 books, and I went to at least two groups a week. And a very interesting, because I wanted to know, you know, whenever I study something, I really want to know. I don't want to touch the surface. I want to go as deep as possible. And so there began my career, and a lot of things happened that were not the best, but it turned out I I was a very 
gifted healer, and I got to do some healing with a man, uh, the very Reverend Harold G. Plume, who became my mentor, uh, and I developed my ability to see and see inside the body and diagnose and all of that stuff, and it just I just opened up like a flower. But then I, as I was doing that, people didn't like me. <laughs> people were like, "Why? Who do you think you are doing that?" And I was like, oh, "I don't know. It's just coming out." <laughs> Uh, so that's how I began, and I did stay and work with Reverend Plume for a while, but then there was so much jealousy. I went down and worked with uh, Rosalind Briere down in Sherman Oaks. Actually, it was in Tarzana, and I loved it. There was a free clinic on the weekends, and I worked and did healing because it, when I did healing, all this love poured through me, and I liked the feeling and helping people. It was just so fun and so different from the academic world that I was used to. And uh, so anyway, uh, I there were a number of things that happened, and we won't talk about them now, but I decided, because people didn't like me being that open that and tried to hurt me, that I'd become the scientist that I could be. So I went and started doing research at Stanford in SRI in behavioral medicine. I said, forget this psychic business. This isn't a gift. This is a curse, and I'm going to be scientific. And I loved the job because I got to speak to the best scientists from around the world, cardiologists, pulmonologists, uh all kinds of ologists, and, uh, you know, I just loved it. And and then my spiritual teacher, I always had a spiritual teacher, told me, you know, they want you to start your practice, they meaning the guides, the angels. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm having too much fun. <laughs> I This is like paint by number, you know, it's so easy. And uh, she said, you know, they really do want you to well, they wanted me to start so much. They sent two young boys in a work truck from a dairy to rear end me in my car on the way to the football game. So <laughs> I got to sit and think about all of this. And I did start my practice sort of handicapped for a while. But I did, and but I never let anybody know I was that psychic because that's not something you do, especially in psychology. You don't talk about those things. So uh, what was interesting is that my father had been sick and then died. So my first year, I was going back and forth to L.A. to court and to be with my mom. Uh, but the second year, all these people started coming, and they all wanted to develop psychically. No one told them. I didn't tell them, but suddenly there they were. They wanted classes. They wanted this. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Um, but I started to look at what's important in life. And as I've had my practice, one of my colleagues told about a man, Dr. Savon Shriver, who's a French scientist, who had a colleague who was very depressed. And he was an allopathic guy. 
he uh, uh, kept telling her, take this medication, go to this therapy, take that medication. And finally she said, I give up. If I don't leave, I'm going to commit suicide. So she had gone up to the Himalayas and started working with one of the shaman up there. And she wrote to him every day. And after a few days, she wrote and said, you know, I'm starting to feel a little better. I don't feel so suicidal anymore. And then after a week, she said, you know, I'm much better. Well, after three weeks, she said, I'm cured. He goes, what do you mean you're cured? And he said, I'm coming up to see what's going on there. And he met the man, and the man talked about love and the heart and the importance of love in healing us, the importance of love in being balanced. And it impressed Dr. Savant-Shriver so much so that he started studying and doing research at different universities in the United States. And he worked with the people uh, who have the HeartMath Institute in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Mm-hmm. And he he wrote a wonderful book about the importance of the heart and love and that the heart is not just a pump. And I've talked to many, many, probably hundreds of people, uh, old and young, in between, and it's amazing. None of us know that the heart actually maintains the homeostatic balance in the body. One of the heart's duties is to go around to all the other organs and kind of say, how you doing? And the organ says, not so good. And then the heart is the reporter up to, sends a message through the vagus nerve, which goes up the back of your neck into your brain, trying to get it to the cognitive brain, which is where we are, quote-unquote, conscious. And sometimes the message doesn't want to go, so it goes back and stays in the old brain and our unconscious. But the heart basically keeps our body balanced and well and is the center of our whole being. Now, I understand in China, I don't know if it's Mandarin or Cantonese, but the word for mind is heart. It's not brain, it's mm. heart. And mm. so then I, we started studying that the heart does all these things. If you're tired, it has its own supply of hormones, of cortisols. Uh, it will secrete those into the bloodstream. That the heart tells the brain, now this is something interesting, uh, that 85% of what the brain knows comes from the heart upward. Only 15% comes from the brain, and they're thinking that's even less now. The heart is so important, and to feel love in your heart. And this is something that when I started this whole thing, People were going, what do you mean love? Isn't that corny? Isn't that hackneyed? Isn't that dumb? I said, no. Isn't every song about love? You know? And so what I found working with people is I found that everyone who was disturbed, who was diseased, 
had a problem that they didn't get enough pure love. Now, I'm writing a book. It's two books down, but it's uh, called The Other Side of Torture, and it's an answer to that Fifty Shades of Grey, which basically uh, glamorizes this horrible syndrome of sadomasochism. And you'll find that so many of us, I think all of us, our society, have this trait of sadomasochism because we've all had transactional love. Now, the heart, when you come in, has unconditional love. And what babies need, what children need, what we all need is unconditional love. And that is something that's very, very hard to find. But kids around the age of three and a half to four, if they're abandoned even for a few days or if they start getting orders from the mama headquarters or the daddy headquarters without love but just self-interest on the parent, this kind of trait syndrome starts to develop that I'm not good, I'm not worthy, I'm only worthy if I'm doing something for my mom or dad or uncle or whatever, you know. Otherwise, they ignore me, they don't talk to me, or they put me down. And so that buildup of anger and resentment starts to happen in children. I think that's what's happening with all these shootings is these kids have not been unconditionally loved and taken care of. And we've known for a long time they're ill, but we haven't done anything. We've ignored them, hoping it will go away. And then they get old enough where they can go buy a gun and then they can act out their rage on a bunch of people because they were ignored. They weren't taken care of. They were used as a commodity. So there's a lot about this whole thing about love, and that's why I wrote Love I Am, and it will be out soon. I quote wonderful people. I quote... Zarathustra, who was the Jesus of the Middle East with the Zoroastrians, and I quote uh, um, Aramaic with the Air Esher, and I quote uh, Oscar Wilde and Buddha and and Socrates and Einstein, amazing people who talk about the importance of love and how if we love unconditionally. This is what Emmett Fox, who is a metaphysical speaker in the New Thought Movement, said if we could love enough, we would be the most powerful people in the world. You know, I'm just going to jump in here. Um, When you're talking about the um, uh, Chinese understanding of the heart. So in that traditional Chinese medicine model, or I would say probably in just the Chinese spiritual knowledge, and I don't think it's just the Chinese at all, but the heart has always been recognized as the seat of the soul. And that really is where our 
you know, essence resides, which is no wonder why that's like the, the, the you know, the, the king that sits there and giving direction up to the brain. That's so interesting. Less than 15% of what we know is actually originating out of our cognitive functioning. It's information from the brain, which has more neurons, doesn't it, Catherine? Doesn't the brain, doesn't the heart have more neurons than the brain? Well, not exactly, but the heart, when it sends out messages, <clears throat> pardon me, is 10,000 to 20,000 times more powerful than the brain. Now, they are not mm-hmm. sure because they haven't invented instruments that are refined enough, but the latest, that's the latest that's been measured, that it's not just the neurons, but it's the whole aura of the heart. And as you say, it's the seat of the soul. And you know that when we die, supposedly we lose about one and a half pounds. And it has been said, isn't it isn't it ounces? I thought no, it was pounds. I thought maybe. Oh, okay. Well, maybe a, it is ounces. Movie. There was a movie about twenty-one ounces. That's why I say that. Okay, well, 20, <laughs> 21 ounces. Anyway, yes, I but so. anyway, <laughs> I mean, the, the main point is that it is the seat of the soul, and uh, if you can love enough and. I tell my students to do this, uh, and we'll do a love meditation. I One of my spiritual teachers, uh, it was, uh, we were all going out, all the girls were going out to the nightclub to dance, and she said, go out, but don't drink, and I want you to send everyone love. And I said, well, hmm, how do I do that? And then I realized I loved pink cotton candy, so I started, you know, I said, oh, I'll send them pink cotton candy. I'll send everybody pink cotton candy. So we started the evening, and then when we got to the nightclub, all my girlfriends vanished, and I was going around asking people, you know, like, where's Waldo? Uh, Have you seen my friends? And I was sending out love and sending out love, and people were nice. Can I buy you a drink? Uh, can I dance with you, uh, talking to me, it was all very, really nice. And as the evening went on, I just kept out sending out love to the point where at the end of the evening, I was dancing with one man, another man was holding my purse, another man <laughs> was holding my jacket, and another man was holding my scarf, and there were a line of these young men waiting to dance with me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> well, you're on to something, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> something that probably most people know. And then, and so when I went back and I told my spiritual teacher, well, you know, the darndest thing happened. I was sending out love. I was just drinking water, sending out love, and all these things happened. And she said, yeah. Yeah, and more. And, you know, if you're in a tight situation, try sending love to the person. Uh, Try sending love to all of our uh, enemies. Uh, Wrap them in pink cotton candy. Imagine that only 
love can come out of their mouths can only reside in their minds. You know, it's kind of like the Jedi mind trick, only with love. And um, amazing things happen when you send out love. People step away, allow you to pass, give you stuff, are extra nice to you. It's it's quite phenomenal, and it was quite a lesson for me because I'd never known that or thought of that. But then as we did the research for the heart brain, when we found that all of these perceptions that we have come from our heart, that we literally mm-hmm. see with our heart and not our head. Mm-hmm. Then it begins like, wow, what else is the heart doing? What else can we do to support the heart? Now, so many people want to be angry, want to be upset, and it throws the heart out of balance. The heart suffers. And a lot of the information that the heart might send to the brain to be tweaked or balanced doesn't get there. And then the person becomes exhausted and has to go to sleep to let the heart rest to then replenish the self. It's a fascinating So from so from that from that understanding, from that more of a spiritual or metaphysical uh, perception, which is a you know deep and profound understanding of who we really are as we're moving into that depth. Do you, do you see a correlation between heart disease as the number one killer of people in the United States? It is the number one cause of death. Do, what what are your thoughts about that? <laughs> of course, of course. I I my mother's attorney was always trying to be really nasty and and uh, ate a lot of junk food. I told him. You know what's in that food? It's not food. There's a lot of rubber in that, and you're eating rubber, and you're a nervous wreck, and what do you think that's going to do for you? Well, he ended up having uh, bypass surgery, he told me, and I said, well, that's because you wouldn't listen to your heart. You never wanted to. You were terrified of loving because it meant you had to be vulnerable, and you would rather delude yourself into thinking you were in control. Now, I had a a charitable foundation years ago, and I had this cute little secretary from Alabama who helped me, and I worked with homeless people, and she helped them without charging me. She just did that as service work. And I said to her, you know, you're so wonderful. What would you like? I want to do something for you that you really would like. And she thought about it for a few days and came back and said, what I would like is to have a fundraising and have Clinton come and speak because she was from the South and she liked him. I said, okay, if you want it, we're going to work really hard and we'll make it happen. And it turned out we made it happen with another group. And during the dinner when he got up to speak, I looked at him and I went, oh, my God, that guy is going to die soon. So when there was a break afterwards, Malini, whose house was a house up in the Los Altos Hills, I said to her, get him to the cardiologist. 
he's not getting enough oxygen, and he's going to die, like, really soon. So I said, don't wait. He can be okay tonight, but first thing in the morning, you get him over to the ER, and the hospital isn't far from us. It's three miles. I said, get him there, and don't let him leave. Well, then after a few weeks, we hear he had a quadruple bypass. Mm. He, he so you, was, you saw that. You saw that. I, you know, people called me. With your psychic. Your psychic. No, that's not. I mean, so you, you know why I saw it? Because he was yellow and gray. And mm-hmm. come on. I said to okay. people, <laughs> I, you know, I said, yeah, you want to Hey, call we can me. give you credit for your psychic ability. No, no, that no, one. no. I said, <laughs> but nobody saw it. I was like, what's wrong with you people? That poor guy. Mm-hmm. I, You know, it's but not that, But that, I mean, that. That's, it sounds like it was part of that psychic sensitivity. You know, it's not like you get necessarily messages, but interesting that you could see something that no one else was able to see as, as clearly as you. Yes, that that is, I'll say yes, that is true. And he was a mean guy, uh, a mean man. I remember when mm-hmm. uh, we went to hear President Carter at UCLA, and what a nice man. What a sweet man, he and his wife. And he was talking about going to North Korea, you know, when there was that big standoff between the North and the South. And he wanted Clinton to give him a plane. And Clinton said, no, I'm not going to do it. And Carter said, well, then I'm going to walk across that demilitarized zone because I'm going to stop. There will be no war. And then Gore said, let him calm down, and I'll convince him to get you plane and some Secret Service people. You can't be running around in the middle of nowhere, you know. But he was so mean. My attorney decided to be mean. He could have been nice, but he chose to be mean. And what happens when you're mean? Your body goes into acidosis become very acid, you have a buildup of stuff in your uh, veins, uh, things solidify, become very crusty, you know, and there isn't a flow, flow of energy, flow of oxygen, flow of life through your body. And so, yes, uh, if we could learn to love enough, it would help to reduce the number of heart attacks and heart disease. I worked I worked for SRI years ago, and I worked with Meyer Friedman, who was one of the developers of Type A personality. And we redid the heart attack study that he uh, uh, did several years before. And what he taught, he did a lot of evaluation, but he taught what he called spiritual values to these people who had previously had heart attacks. And they were patience, compassion, empathy, emotion, support. So, And those men who went through the program and practiced those traits actually had 
a lot less, I don't recall, but it was it was notably less recidivism for a second heart attack. And mm-hmm. it's my understanding that once you have one, you are very, very liable to have another one very soon. But these men who practiced, uh, put it into practice, didn't. And so if we understand there's value to love, it's just not some idiotic thing that we're talking about. There's actual actual medicinal value to that. Then maybe we might practice it a little more. So, Catherine, you know, as you're talking, I, I really wanted to ask you, you know, you you have your Ph.D., so you have your doctorate degrees in psychology. You've studied with different spiritual teachers. You've been on this really interesting path. It's like the heart and the mind, <laughs> working them both. Um, so here's my question. When we talk about the heart as the seed of the soul, we talk about the power of love. You know, it's a word we banter about a lot. So I'm just curious to know from your experience and your perspective, how would you really define what this word is really about? What is love? What is it that we are trying to reconnect with in our lives? I think that's an amazingly wonderful question. I ask myself that a lot. How do you explain it? And I'll say that all babies are born, and unless there's something that happened in the womb, they're full of love. Why does everybody love a baby? Because the baby's full of love and emanates this feeling of immense joy, uh, this sense of of transcendental happiness. And so love is beyond the three dimensions. Love, the more you give, the more you have. The more you receive, the more you can give. It doesn't follow the laws of the three-dimensional world. So this love we're talking about is in the fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever dimensions. It's the feeling you have of great joy, of ecstasy, uh, by sharing that feeling with another, by being around another. I always tell people, you know, when you're around your little niece or your daughter, your granddaughter, your nephew, or even a loved, loved pet, how do you feel? Now, that's the feeling of love to send. And to try to maintain having that feeling more of the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a, we give it a word, but it's, you know, it's really an energy, it's a frequency, it's a state of consciousness that we're trying, we in this dimension are are returning to as our true self. Yes, that's so well put. It's true, it's that frequency. It's, uh, I'm teaching uh, a class later in May, yeah, in May, uh, on raising your vibrational field 
And if you look at the masters, uh, when I first got into this, I started reading, and you probably are familiar with these books, The Masters of the Far East. Oh, you, sure. Yes. Yeah. Well, I love them so much, I used to buy uh, those books, and I'd give them to my clients. I mean, the bookstore loved me because I spent a lot of money, but I was so impressed with this idea of transcendental love, of really allowing love in your body, just imagining, using your imagination. And I like to remind people that Einstein said, imagination is greater than logic. And evidently, he said, I heard Jean Houston say that when she was a little girl, she went to a grammar school uh, in New Jersey across from Princeton. And one day they were going to meet Dr. Einstein, and she was so excited. And so he met each of the children, and then he looked at her and he said, oh, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And she looked at him and said, I want to be you. How can I be Mm. you? Mm. And he looked at her, he said, read more fairy tales. Mm. Mm. Oh, interesting, huh? Isn't Wouldn't that expect that as an answer. Yeah. No, no, you know, and I mean, I read fairy tales, and I had to hide them when I was a kid because people would make fun of me, or, you know, it's just, it's so amazing that the truths we have are really so ancient and simple, and yet on top of it, we've made all these weirdly uh, complicated energy systems that are so anti-life. Mm. It's just strange, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know. And uh, this is why we're in the pickle. We're in this stage of the evolution of humanity and why it's so important to get back to our hearts, get back to real knowledge, real intuition, real wisdom, which comes from connecting back to our hearts, which is the powerful work that the HeartMath Institute does. I've had Deb Brosnan on my show, and we've talked about the power of the heart. You can never talk enough about the power of the heart and how there are simple ways to really get us connected again to that frequency that is the frequency that connects us all and um, opens the compassion within us, our true nature. It's true. Maybe maybe this is a good time, Catherine. I know you wanted to share one of your meditations with us. This this could be a good segue into one of your favorite meditations you'd like to share. Well, let's get ready and we'll do a short love meditation. So get in a position either on the floor, on your yoga mat, in a chair, on a couch. Uh, I like people to take their shoes off. You can put your feet on the floor or not, but I like people to do that. And make sure that your back is supported and you can relax your arms. So I like people to put their hands in their lap with the palms up But if you want to do the yoga where you touch the third or fourth finger, that's fine. Uh, And get into a position where you're comfortable. You just feel okay. Okay? And then I 
invite you to take a moment and pause and just go inside and be one with your breath. Allow yourself to be with your breath as your breath goes in and as it goes out. And as you are with your breath, I invite you to take a hand, right or left, and put it on your heart. Now notice, what is your heart doing? What are the beats doing? And as you breathe, I invite you to concentrate now on your exhale. And then allow your body to inhale and pause and then exhale. And I like to imagine a beautiful pink, but you can imagine gold or the sparkling blue of the sky, whatever colors are good. And I'd like you, with your breath, to invite that color or colors into your body. And just breathe them in and slowly exhale them and pause. Breathe them in again. And slowly exhale. Let it all go. And pause. And one more time. Breathe it in. Breathe it out. And pause. Breathe normally. Feel your body. Feel how you've changed almost immediately. Feel a calm come over not only your heart, but all through your body. Now, as we breathe in our next set, I'd like you to imagine that your color is connected with great love that you inhale love, that you exhale love, and that you pause. So let's take a deep breath in and out. And as you pause, feel the color or colors just vibrating through your head the top, your third eye, your eyes, your jaws, through your throat, down your chest, down your shoulders, out your arms and hands and fingers, down into your lungs, and let's inhale again, and exhale. And pause and allow those colors to come down through all of your organs, letting go, energizing, 
soothing, enlivening with gentleness. And then again, inhale and exhale. Coming down your hips and to your thighs and knees, calves and shins, ankles, your feet, your toes. And pause. Again, just breathe normally and feel the difference in your body. And if your eyes have been closed, I invite you to open them. If your hands have been apart, I invite you to hold them close and feel the energy. If your hand has been on your heart, remove it for a moment and then put it back and feel. And just start feeling your body from the top of your head, the tip of your nose, the ends of your shoulders, all the way down to the tips of your toes. And just feel the love that's been pouring into you through your breath. Love is everywhere. The universe is made of love. And the truth is, so are we. We just forgot about it. So when you are ready, again, you might wiggle your toes, wiggle your nose, your fingers, be in your body differently with love. So I pray that you enjoyed the love meditation and it has been my pleasure to be with everyone and my pleasure to be allowed to say all the stuff I said. <laughs> you know, um, that was very beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that love meditation with us, Catherine. And I just feel so relaxed right now. <laughs> uh, just slide out of my chair. And it's just a remembrance that if we just take a couple of minutes and disconnect from the mental focus chatter concerns and do what you just guided us to do. Just take, I mean, you know, uh, I don't know, three, four minutes, whatever it was, to just put our focus back on our breath, and which is the quickest way to really get back in touch with ourselves and our heart and that healing energy. It's so profound. It's so profound because when we're in that state, it's it's like all the all the the systems are in sync again, right? The stress dissolves, and the body can go back to more uh, parasympathetic homeostasis place where everything can flow and function as it should. It's a simple process, but very profound. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So that's all we need to do. And I tell my students what we need to do 
is we need to turn off the mind, open the heart, and allow love to be present. And I think that's such a powerful statement because you cannot access that energy, that frequency of love through the mind. You can't think your way there. You can't try to get yourself to love something or love someone. You can't do it. You know, I mean, the mind is good at at creating separation and disconnection, but really a challenge. It's not through our intellect that we can return to that healing energy of love, which is the source of true healing. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I know that people have tried and tell me, well, just tell me how to do it. And I say, well, I'm telling you how not to do it and to allow love to be in you and with you. And then you'll know on a different level. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very interesting. It's it's a quite um, paradoxical in one way, ironic in another, and joyful coming back to your T-shirt of joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what f- would you offer at this time in our present history of all that's going on, this unsettled of life as we've known it, What's your advice? What would you offer people as the most powerful and important steps or strategies we need to do to help us navigate through this time? I would uh, just tell everybody to remember this love meditation, to remember that they are made of love, to turn off your TVs and your radios and your Instagrams and your whatever it is, put on some music, put on some big band music and dance. I happened to be at the baseball game, first baseball game I've ever been to where it rained, but everybody in the stands, they had great music and everyone was standing up and dancing, having a great time. (laughs) You know, allow the joy to be experienced by you. Turn things off. I I have recently discovered Peggy Lee, and I was watching PBS, and they had a special, and of course I'm a glutton for, of course I'll donate, and I started listening to her CD. A brilliant woman. Brilliant woman. Mm -hmm. And it's so joyful because... The instruments are so interesting and the arrangements and the way she uses her voice. And it's just so fun. Have fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The flowers are growing. The trees are growing. The grass is growing. The sun, thank you, God, comes up every day. You know? And everything is all right. So I'd like everyone to remind themselves that all is well. And and when we can return to that place and lay down the worries and the fears, that's the way we actually 
receive the guidance and receive our intuitive knowingness that helps us move through our life at all times. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly it. In the heart brain, we talk about it. Heart math talks about it. When we've got that brain so twisted up into a pretzel, nothing can get through. Mm. At least Mm. nothing good. Mm -hmm. And so this relaxation, and I think it's uh, metaphysics, it could be unity. Relaxation brings realization. Uh, yeah, I, I like that saying. Relaxation brings realization. That's, yeah, yeah, that says it all. That yeah. says it all. You know, for um, for many many years, I actually was using breath as the primary tool in my psychotherapy practice, and just getting people to return to a connected, relaxed, full, open, flowing, circular breath, and miracles would happen miracles and didn't require thinking didn't require any analyzing Uh, people just would lie down and breathe for 30 40 minutes and amazing insights would come and healings would happen it was really so profound and so simple yes isn't that amazing it's wonderful and that's true Mm -hmm. because love Mm -hmm. and happiness and joy and health are so profound, but they're simple. They're not complicated. You already, what I tell my students is, you already possess all of this. Just Mm -hmm. allow it to be with you. Mm -hmm. Stop pushing it away. So, Catherine, if people want to learn more, your website is Catherine. Athens, and that's A-T-H, well, so let me just start at the beginning. Catherine with a C, and it's A-T-H-A-N-S, P-H-D dot com, Catherine Athens, and <laughs> P-H-D dot com. Is, uh, are you teaching, Catherine? Are, are people able to do programs with you? Do you offer anything like that? Well, I'm teaching in May this course. And I believe in June I'll be teaching a few more courses. And so, yes, uh, definitely, you know, email me, KatherineAthensPhD at Yahoo.com. Or you can even call me on the phone the old-fashioned way, 650-948-1796. And there are classes. There are some groups. My... um, Regular students have been chomping at the bit. When are we going to have class? When are we going to have class? And so we're having this wonderful raising your vibrational class outside under a tent at a restaurant. And hopefully we're going to have some gongs and people are going to experience immediate cleansing of their (laughs) chakras. Where's that? Where's that going to be, Catherine? In Los Altos, just... Across the street from my office. So, okay. You know. Okay. So, So, uh, people are invited to come, and if they want to learn more, um, is it on your website, CatherineAthensPhD.com, or should they, or it's CatherineAthensPhD at at Yahoo, right? 
That's my email address, but CatherineAthensPhD.com yes. is my website. Right. And, yes, they can learn more on the website, you know, as well as emailing me. I'm happy to have that. But that's what I've done so far because of the COVID we have really limited the number of classes that normally I teach. I used to teach two two or three classes a week. So I want to start doing more like a class every other week on a different subject. And people do profound things, as you say, in these classes. Right. So, well, well um, we've come to the end of the show, Catherine. Thank you so much for sharing your journey, your wisdom, that beautiful heartfelt healing meditation. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show, and I'm sure all of us who are listening in at this time have received the healing gifts that you offered. It was a, it was a you know, we only have a beautiful energy, and the meditation was just very special and simple, but so profound. So thank you, Catherine, for all that you do. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure and thank everyone for listening. And I wish everybody love. That's, that's it. That's it. And I wish everyone love as well. And you're listening to The Love Code. And if you will, will come back and join me every week, we have more wonderful conversations like this. And until next week, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. This is Dr. Cheryl Filman wishing you a great week, and bye for now.